Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you join us as we continue our series, Christian Atheist. This week, lead pastor David Fossil lays out some anxiety-producing situations which cause us to worry. Listen as Pastor Dave shows us that worry makes absolutely no sense, and as he points out three things Jesus gives us to conquer worry. You go with your spouse to the follow-up visit with the doctor. They took tests uh, three or four weeks ago, and you show up, and they go over the x-rays, and they look at the blood work, and they say, you know, we've got an issue, we've got a problem, we're going to have to do surgery. And uh, we should be able to get it all, and it should be fine. And, um, you know, it's fairly routine, but you know how it is with surgeries and doctors, they've got to give you all the risks, and so they do. There's a 5% chance that this might happen, and a 3% chance that that might happen, and they use big words, and they use scary things. And uh, on the day of the surgery, you, you go with your spouse to the hospital and you kiss them on the cheek and you give them a hug as they head in to do the prep work. And in the min- meantime, you sit alone in the waiting room and you worry. Your kid, teenager, has had their driver's license for a little while and for their age, they're a fairly good driver. Yeah, but one night, uh, as they're coming home from a friend's house, um, you notice that it starts to rain outside and then it starts to come down really hard. It's at that moment that you remember that the mechanic told you that, you know, you should probably change the, the wheels on your car because they're, the tread's running a little thin and, and you start to think about your daughter or son that are driving at that very moment and hoping that they're safe and careful and they drive at a, at a good speed and, uh, and nothing happens to them. But until they get home, you sit on the couch and you worry. The pet that you've had for years and that's part of your family, you come home one night and and they got out. They got out through the backyard or there was an open door and they're gone. And you put up posters around the neighborhood and with the picture of the cat or the dog. And you said, have you seen? And you put their name down and no one calls. And that night you go to sleep and, and you wonder if you're ever going to see them again and you worry. There's rumors around work that there's going to be layoffs. The economy really hasn't picked up, and, and the department that you're in, there's rumors that there's a few of you that are going to get let go, and they're not sure if they're going to go after the, the new ones or, or the more with seniority, and sometimes it's easier to keep the new ones because the guys with seniority get paid more, and, or maybe not, and you just don't know, and that night you go to bed, and sometimes you just kind of lay awake and, and you worry. Late one afternoon, you get a call from one of your siblings. And they tell you that your elderly parent just suffered a massive heart attack. And they say, you got to come. This is it. Mom doesn't have much time left. And you schedule a flight the very next morning. Um, but as you sit at your, in your aisle seat, you, you sit and you worry. And you wonder if you're going to make it in time to say your last goodbyes and to give them a kiss. One night, you put all your bills out on the kitchen table. And you start looking at everything that you owe, and you look at your check stub and what you've got coming in, and you're trying to make it all match up, and you've got your calculator out, and you've got your legal pad and your pen, and, and after about 60 minutes of that, you find yourself just staring at your checkbook, and you worry. You're the pastor of a growing, fairly successful church, and the landlord tells you you've got to move out. And you start looking and looking for a building, and praise God, you find something, and everybody's excited to move in. 
But then the new landlord tells you, oh, by the way, if we find a retailer that's willing to pay top dollar, you got 30 days and you got to be out. And you worry. We all do it. But we all know we shouldn't. We all know it's not helpful. We know that it drives everyone around us crazy. We know it, it doesn't characterize followers of Jesus Christ. But some of us are consumed by and even addicted by anxious thoughts and worry. We are in the middle of a series uh, called Christian Atheist. What is a Christian Atheist? A Christian Atheist is someone who believes in God but lives their life as though God doesn't exist. They believe in God enough that they want Him to get them out of hell, but they don't believe in Jesus enough to actually make a difference in their life. We've been in it three weeks, and week one we talked about the idea that I believe in God, but I, I don't believe that He can actually change me. And so we live with our dysfunction. Last week we, we talked about the idea, I believe in God, but I don't read my Bible. I don't pray, and I don't prioritize church. I live like an atheist. This morning, the topic should be pretty obvious. I believe in God, but I worry all the time. Which, from a biblical theological perspective, makes absolutely no sense. If we believe that there is a God that is all-powerful and all-knowing, a God that is sovereign and in control of everything, and a God who desperately loves us, then worry makes absolutely no sense. And yet some of us just do it all the time. Some of us drove to church today and we worried about whatever has happened last week or whatever's coming up this next week. If you have a study guide, I want you to notice on the, I've given you Webster's definition for worry. Now we all know instinctively what worry is, but there's one little phrase here that I I think is rather interesting. Webster's dictionary defines worry as to feel uneasy or anxious. By the way, you do know that the English word worry comes from an old German word, I'm told, worgen, which means to choke and to strangle. And then, isn't that exactly what worry does to our life? It chokes the life and it strangles the joy right out of us. But it's this next phrase that really caught my attention. Worry is to feel uneasy or anxious, to torment oneself with or suffer from disturbing thoughts. In other words, worry is no one else's fault but my own. My boss didn't make me worry. My family doesn't make me worry. My finances don't make me worry. My health concerns don't make me worry. The economy doesn't make me worry. No, it's my own fault. You can blame no one else for your worry other than yourself, which is rather interesting. Uh, Right there also in your study guide, there's a survey done by USA Today on the sources of worry. But before we do that, let me show you what a, a, a psychologist says about worry. His name is Robert Leahy, and he said this, We live in the age of anxiety and worry. We've become a nation of nervous wrecks. The average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in the 1950s. No wonder our kids seem so psychotic. I mean, look at their just all this stress and worry in their life. What does USA Today say about the things that we worry about? Look at it real quick. What do we worry about? 36% of us worry about work. This has been the same whether in a bad economy or a good economy. Am I going to have a job? Am I going to keep my job? What's going on at my job? And we worry about work. The next most obvious one is we worry about money. And if we have enough and we're going to have enough and we have for retirement, we worry about money, right? 12% of us worry about death. And what's going to happen to us after we die? Now, that's a pretty serious question. That's a pretty significant issue. 
We'll actually be talking about that here a little bit later on, okay? 10% of us worry about our children, right? In fact, it started right after we brought them home from the hospital. When you brought your newborn home from the hospital, did you ever find yourself, you put them in the little bassinet, and, and you were worried that they were breathing? Did anyone ever do that? You're like, are they breathing? I don't think they're breathing. You like poke them. Oh, yeah, they're awake. They're breathing. <laughs> it starts right then. Then you send them to school, and, you know, my kid's a little shy. I'm, I'm worried they're going to get bullied. You know, and then they get a little bit older, and we're worried about their grades. And then we're worried about what kind of job they're going to get. And then we're worried about how they're going to get married. And then we're worried about them moving away. Are we ever going to see them again? It just goes on and on and on, right? Some of us are worried, 8% of us, about getting old. You know, we're worried about getting old. What's happening? My back hurts. My knees hurt. You know, I'm worried about losing my hair. I mean, look at me. I might have to do a comb over, you know? No, actually, if I please don't let me do that. If I do, don't, don't let me do that. You know, we're worried about getting old, right? 7% of us are worried about health. You know, we're worried about what could happen to us. 6% of us are worried about terrorism, which actually is rather low considering um, what has happened in our country the last 10, 15 years. 5% are worried about marriage, 5% about parents, 5% of us are worried about crying. And now here's the key statistic if you write it down 90% of what we worry about never happens. It's all made up in our brain and just rattling around, making a mess of everything. What I'd like you to do is, if you have a Bible, turn to page 685, Matthew chapter 6. Page 685, Matthew chapter 6. If you're turning there, we are going to look at a passage um, uh, that, that, is, that, in, in, that deals with worry, and it is, it is in the middle of the most famous sermon ever preached, called the Sermon on the Mount. It, it, this passage in Matthew is the longest teaching, preaching section that Jesus has anywhere in the New Testament. And what's fascinating when you think about it is that Jesus has this really important sermon that he's going to give. And he spends a whole chunk of it dealing with worry. Apparently, he must have known that we as people and we as his children are going to have this issue constantly in our life. So he goes over a, a chunk of important information with us. Verse 25, here's what we begin to read. He says, Jesus says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or they don't reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the fields grow? Do, they don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father, he knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these other things will be given to you. Therefore, Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. In 1988, the Jamaican singer Bobby McFerrin sang the very popular song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Uh, when you think about that, that, that is actually very difficult to do. And that's not what my challenge is going to be to you this morning. Just because you eliminate worry from your life doesn't automatically mean you're going to be happy. 
because you're still going to have issues. You're still going to have problems that you're going to have to deal with. My challenge to us this morning is going to be not don't worry, be happy. Here's what it's going to be. Don't worry, be godly. That's the key. Don't worry, be godly. Happiness and joy takes care of itself as God works in and through our lives. Now, Jesus gives us three things to do to conquer worry. I want to encourage you to jot these down or nail these down in in your head. First thing is you need to realize how destructive worry can be. You need to realize how destructive worry can be. In verse 34, the conclusion, therefore, don't worry about, uh, about tomorrow. For tomorrow... We'll worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, Jesus is making the point. He's not saying you shouldn't plan. He's not saying you shouldn't think ahead. Oh, you know, the kids are going to go away to college. I'm going to have to save. He's not saying prepare, don't prepare for retirement. He's not suggesting you have a cavalier attitude about life. He's saying don't get emotionally involved in trying to do things and fix things tomorrow when you should be focusing on today. And so he's, he's drawing this illusion, don't get emotionally involved in the future the way you are. What's fascinating, and, and the reason I start there, is, is a, a paragraph that I came across in the Illinois Medical Journal. Illinois Medical Journal. Now this is a, you know, not, not a Christian organization. They're writing for physical health issues. I want you to notice how, how similar what they say matches up with what Jesus says in verse 34. Let me just read it to you. Illinois Medical Journal says... There are two days in every week about which we should not worry. Two days which should be kept free from fear and apprehension. One of those days is yesterday. With its pains, mistakes, its faults and blunders, yesterday has passed forever beyond our control. All the money in the world cannot bring back yesterday. You cannot erase a single word we said or anything we did. The other day we should not worry about is tomorrow. With its possible adversities, its burdens, its large promise and performance, tomorrow is beyond our immediate control. That leaves only one day. Today. Any man or woman can fight the battles of just one day. It is only when you and I add the burdens of those two awful eternities, yesterday and tomorrow, that we are liable to break down. Now, Did you see how similar it was to what Jesus says? Now, what catches my attention, and the first question you should ask is, wait a minute. Why are medical professions writing about an emotional issue, worry? Why are they concerned about it? Well, if you work in the medical profession, you know the answer. It's because worry has been associated with major illnesses that we suffer and die from. Worry can cause heart disease, cancer, migraines, even diabetes. A recent Mayo Clinic survey... Uh, estimates that 80% of their caseload, 80% is directly attributed to worry issues in our life. I'm not even talking about spiritual things now. Realize how destructive worry can be to your health. It's literally eating some of you alive. It's literally killing some of you. And I even even got to your family and your relationships and, and, and your faith. It's incredibly destructive. Now, in verse 27, there's another thing I want to draw out to your attention. Uh, Who of you, by worrying, Jesus says, can add a single hour to your life? The point he's trying to make, would you agree with me? Sometimes when we worry, we make things worse. Would you agree with me? We make things worse. Oh, Oh, by the way, you don't even know what your worry is doing to those around you that you care about most. You're literally, without even realizing, you're literally pushing them away. Because nobody likes hanging out with worriers. Other than, 
other worriers. Oh, they love to get together, and then they can worry together, and they get in small groups and worry together. They pray about their worries. They go to movies. Then they, I can worry about my worries, and I can worry about your worries, right? But other than other worriers, no one likes hanging out with people that worry. We make things. Do you ever, do you ever worry that you worry too much and it makes you sick with worry? Do you ever do that? I'm worried too much. I just really worry too much, and it worries you that you worry too much. It's very important that we understand and distinguish between unhealthy worry and healthy concern. It's a very fine line. Jesus is not suggesting we have a cavalier attitude. He's not suggesting when the, the oil light comes on in your car, you go, ah, oh, I'm just not going to worry about it. That's not what he's suggesting, okay? He's, there's a fine line between unhealthy and unbiblical worry, okay, and healthy concern. Now, this is not in your study guide. I just want you to understand it. I think instinctively we understand it. Let me show you what I mean. Let's put it on the screen. Unhealthy worry is imagining the worst case scenario. You know how this works. It goes like this. You know, man, my chest feels a little tight. Lately, I'm feeling a little tight in my chest. I feel tight in my chest. You know what? This is the same age my grandfather had that heart attack. I, I, I probably have heart disease. No, you had pepperoni pizza last night and you have indigestion, right? But when you worry, you're always imagining worst case scenario, okay? You distort the situation with negative thinking. You don't even see it clearly. It's like wearing a different pair of glasses. You distort what's actually reality because you're worrying about the situation. You have a desire to be in control. I got to tell you, theologians point to that bullet point as the primary issue with worry. Worry is really a control issue. It's the frustration and the anger at not being able to control my life. And some of us that are where our control freaks hate that. Okay? And it borders and it goes into a life of worry. And that's not good. It's it's the unwillingness or inability to fully trust God. Now some of you got I don't know if I believe that one. I mean, I love Jesus. I, 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 trust, I trust God. Not as much as you think you do. Not as much as you think to do. It's fascinating to me that Jesus, in the middle, on, in this sermon on worry, right? In verse 30, he's talking about what you should wear. And don't worry about what you should wear and chill out a little bit. And, you know, and he's getting into all these things we shouldn't worry about. And then at the end of verse 30, he says this. Oh, you of little faith. You see, worry is really a faith issue. Worry is really a trust issue. Do you or don't you trust God? Do you or don't you? Do you believe that he is all-powerful? Do you believe that he is all-knowing? Do you believe that he controls everything? Do you believe that he loves you? Yes or no? And however you answer that question, or whatever percentage you put in one box or the other, will determine how much you worry. Worry has always been a faith issue. It has always been a spiritual issue more than it is an emotional issue. And it's unhealthy and it's unbiblical. Now, the very fine line between worrying about something and having a healthy concern about something. A healthy concern is being realistic but positive. 
not only is this important, but you should connect the dots. Well, this is happening in my life, and then, you know, this is going to happen, and the kid's in college, and, and you know, if this happens, well, then that means, oh, my goodness, this is going to happen. So that's, that's just healthy concern. That's thinking things through. But you're positive about it. Why? Because we have Jesus on our side. God's people should be the most positive people in this culture. Because we got Jesus on our side, right? It doesn't mean that everything's going to work out perfect for us. But we got Jesus on our side. It's action-oriented. You see, worry is a mental exercise, okay? It's like the little hamster going around and around and around on the wheel. A healthy concern is action-oriented. You actually try and do something about it, right? It's like someone, you go up to someone, you go, you know, hi, hey, how's your job hunt going? No, I'm just, I'm just not going to worry about it. God's, gonna, God's in control. Praise Jesus. Well, have you, have you put a resume together? No. No, I'm not, not going to worry about it. Have you gone on Craigslist to see what's available? No, God will provide. I'm not going to worry about it, you know? Well, you might not be worrying about it, but you are a fool, you know? <laughs> it, healthy concern is being action-oriented. You have to do something about what's going on. Now, if you fill out the resume and you go on Craigslist and you, and you still don't have a job, you have to be able to rest in the presence of God and know, I'm gonna, I've done the best I can do. But it's action-oriented. Healthy concern. This is very important. It's understanding that we cannot control situations. We cannot change people. Okay? Can you change your boss? Yes or no? Can you change that neighbor that drives you a little bit crazy? Yes or no? Can you change your spouse? Some of you pause. You're like, you know, I'm actually trying to work on... No, you can't. God can change them. Now, we all should want to influence each other. I mean, as parents, you should want to influence your kids to change. But you cannot yourself change them. The Holy Spirit can change them. But until you realize that life is out of your control, you are not in control. That's the point. You've got to let that go. You're not in control. Healthy concern is always driven by by, by our faith in God. I want to show you this next verse. It's found in the Gospel of Luke, verse 8 through 14. Jesus is giving the story of the sower. And he says this. The seed that, is, that fell among the thorns. By the way, this is the seed in the story. This is the seed. God, when you read this, he's trying to plant it in your soul. When you go to small group, he's trying to plant it in your soul. When you come to church, he's trying to plant it in your soul. And he's hoping that little seed, that one little thing you learn, will flourish and it'll grow. And that one little thing will make you just a little bit more like his son, Jesus Christ. This is his seed, right? The seed that fell among the thorns stand for those who hear, but go on their way. Now check it out. And they are choked by life worries, riches, pleasures, and they do not mature. Some of you are not growing in your faith for no other reason that you are addicted to worry. It has nothing to do whether you go to church or not. It has nothing to do whether or not reading enough, the Bible enough. It has nothing to do with tithing or not tithing. It has nothing to do with sharing your faith or not sharing your faith or serving or not serving. It has exclusively to do is you're addicted to worry. And worry is the antithesis of faith. You cannot mix the two. You cannot do it. And if you want to take a step in your spiritual walk, you must conquer worry. You must conquer it and get rid of it and kill it. Because it is destroying your soul. It's destructive. 
Not just to your body, but to your soul. And now this should be, point number one is just the motivation to do something about it. To do something about it. Now point number two, what else do I do? No matter what, you need to trust in God. No matter what happens to you, trust in God. Look at verse 26. In verse 26, Jesus says, at the, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap or store away in barns. And, let your, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. I, I don't know why I did this. I, in each service, I asked how many people own birds. First service, only Terrence has a bird. I'm just curious, how many of you own birds here? Birds. Second service, someone said, chickens. Well, I, I don't know, I just, it really it threw me off. It confused me. It counts. Birds aren't as popular a pets as they used to be. Would you agree with me there? I remember years ago, we had a parakeet. Okay, growing up, I had a parakeet. His name was Bobby. Now, my family, I don't know about other, my family, and people thought this was weird, but when we were home, my, our bird was not in the cage. Our bird was flying around, just flying around. He'd sit on my dad's shoulder and watch TV with him. They'd sit and watch TV. The fa- my, Bobby, his favorite spot in the entire house was the, was the small bathroom. The small bathroom had a really small sink, you know, and, and kind of a shower. You know, small kind of stand-up shower. And he used to love going in there, right? And he would sit on the top of the, uh, of the shower curtain, and he would look at himself in the tile because he could see his reflection. And he would just chirp away. Jar, chirp, chirp, chirp. And because it was just shut in, it was like being in a cathedral to Bobby, you know? You could hear, jar, chirp, 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 chirp. He, and he would not leave even when you took a shower. He loved it when you, because he's steam and it was warm and he'd go like this, you know. I'd always throw water up at him. He'd be like, <laughs> now, with Bobby, I had one chore. My parents would clean the cage. I don't know what my sister did. I had one chore. Feed him. That's all I had to do. Yeah. Now, it wasn't very hard. I just got the little box of seed, you know. At the end of the day, I'd pour a little bit in his little thing and push it in with the water. That's all I had to do. Bobby never worried about whether he would go to bed hungry at night. He never had to wonder if he was going to get fed tonight. You know why? Because I love my bird. And Jesus says at the end of this verse, he says, if I take care of the birds of the wild and feed them, how much more valuable are you than they are? You need to rest in the knowledge that he loves you. He cares for you. He cares for you. Even when you mess up, he cares for you. And you have to rest in that. You have to know that. You have to live that. Not living on edge, wondering if he's going to come down. He loves you. Now Jesus adds to that in verse 28. It's interesting how verse 28 start, starts. And why do you worry about clothes? Now stop right there. Let's just be honest. Verse 28 really doesn't apply to us. You go, what do you mean it doesn't apply to us? Well, is there anyone here, okay, anyone here that this morning was worried because you had to put on the same pair of jeans and the t-shirt you wore the entire week? Anybody? You see, that's the crowd he's speaking to. None of us had to do that. We, on the other hand, we had other worries. Our worries were opening our closet and deciding what to wear. So let's just be honest that verse 28 doesn't quite apply to us than, than it did to the hearers that Jesus was initially speaking to. And so then he got to start talking. And if I take care of the flowers and the lilies, and you know, they're dressed much more greater than Solomon was, right? 
You know, and, and he goes into this, this big discussion, right? And, and he ends with a little faith statement. But what I want to draw your attention to is he continues on at the end of verse at the beginning of verse 32, he says this, right? He's talking about the clothes and the drink and the food. And, and then he says in verse 32, he says this. For the pagans run after these things. You go, what things? What we were just talking about. Nice clothes, fancy cars, big homes, fast motorcycles, expensive vacations. See, Jesus is saying, you know why some of you worry? Because you are all consumed with living for stuff and possessions, and things. I mean, think about it. You get a new car, you worry about the car. Don't be eating fries in the back seat, kids. Right? You're wor- you, you get a boat, you worry about the boat. You get a house, you got to get insurance. The more stuff you get, the more you accumulate, the more you have to, quote-unquote, worry about it. And Jesus, you best be very careful. Be very careful if you want to choose to live your life to run after these things. Doesn't mean that any of those things are wrong. It means that if you live your life for that, you're living like a Christian atheist. That's how you're living. Now, you say, okay, I got it. You know, worry is destructive. You know, I need to trust God no matter what. But just, I, God, I, David, I just keep, I keep mulling over my head. I don't know what to do. What do I do, you know? Well, let me show you what Paul tells you you should do. In the book of Philippians chapter 4, he says this. Let's put it on the screen. He says, don't be anxious or worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So here's how it works. You start worrying about your kids. You start worrying about your bills. You start worrying about your health. That should be a signal that what you ought to do is whatever you're worrying about, you need to take it to God in prayer. You see, I know, without even talking to you, if you struggle with worry, I know you need to improve at prayer. Now, that's not something to be disappointed or discouraged about. You just got to work at prayer. Prayer is such, so much more than a quick thank you for the food or before you tuck your kids in the bread. You need to learn how to pray. You need to learn how to take what you're worried and concerned about and cast it upon Christ. Now, does that mean your problems go away? No. But it's basically like moving a couch. Moving a couch, just you and your wife or you and a buddy. Or moving a couch and putting it on a dolly. Now... It's still the same couch. It still weighs the same amount. But the dolly sure helps, doesn't it? That's Jesus. That's God. You've got to learn how to try and put it on his shoulders. you still got to deal with it. But you got the dolly. Now, here's the promise. Worry, pray. What's, what, what do you get out of the deal? He says this. And the peace of God. Now, notice, not peace with God. Peace with God comes through salvation. This is the peace of God. Two completely different things. Peace with God, salvation. Peace of God in my heart after salvation. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. In other words, it won't make sense to people. They will look at you and go, why aren't you all concerned about what... It, you can't even explain it. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts. And it will guard your minds in Jesus Christ. I read this story about um, an aviator years ago at the early stages of aviation. And he wasn't in what we would consider a modern plane. And he was flying around the world and trying to do it in a certain amount of days. And he would, he would fly for, you know, four to five hours. And then you have to land, you know, kind of gas up again because, you know, they didn't have the tanks as big. And, oh, you know, one of his stops right after he got up and he was flying for 30 to 40 minutes, he was over the water. And by then, some water. And, and he heard this sound. 
You know, he's got a loud engine. I mean, he, he listened, and then he realized what it was. It was the sound of the gnawing or chewing of a rat. And apparently, while he had been on the ground, you know, a rat had kind of, you know, scurried up inside his plane and was in his plane chewing on something. And he thought, this is, this is a problem. He could be chewing on an important cable or something. He was like, what do I do? I'm too far away to go back. I can't land on the water. What do I do? And then he remembered. He remembered that rodents are made, they're created to live underground. Rodents, rats, are not intended and able to live in high-altitude atmosphere. And so what that, that pilot started to do is just climb and climb and climb and go higher and higher until he got to ten to 15,000 feet or so, and he didn't hear the sound anymore because the rat was dead. You know, worry is a lot like rodents. When you take your worries and you bring them to the presence of God, your worry will die. You've got to take it to God. And if you're worrying, I know that you're not. Or you're not doing it enough. Realize that worry is destructive in your life. Number two, no matter what, trust God. Which means, I'm trying to fix this problem. Okay, I'm going to trust you. But it doesn't, if something bad happens anyway. Trust Him anyway. Again, He knows what's going on. He knows your life. He knows what needs to happen. Right? Realize, even if it goes bad, it's not God. We just live in a fallen world. Trust Him no matter what. Step number three, I better wrap it up. Control and shift your thinking. Control and shift your thinking. Right? The very next verse, after we're told, don't worry and pray, is this one. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, he says, brothers, he says, whatever's true, whatever's noble, right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about them. Why? Proverbs 23, 7 from the King James Version. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You don't even have to be a Christian to understand this, right? Culture will tell you whatever you think, you become, and what you become, you behave. It's just a matter of time. Whatever you put into your brain ends up coming out in your behavior. It's just a matter of time. That's why it's so important to protect what goes into your mind. Let me give you an illustration, okay? I, sh- I, 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 I use Terrence as an example. Let's say Terrence, my friend and our youth pastor here at Bay Hills, comes to your house this afternoon, knocks on your door, and you're kind of surprised. You're like, I, I didn't expect to have Terrence here. He hasn't even been to my house. He comes in, he's got a big bag. He says, can I come in for a second? He comes into your living room, right? And he takes the bag, and, and, and very quickly you realize it, it's a garbage bag from his kitchen, filled with old nasty food and things like that, you know, coffee filters. He opens the bag, turns it over, and dumps it on your living room floor. And he says, you know, I, I got to get going. I'll see you. <laughs> I, I just, I mean, I, crazy, stupid example, but what would you do? What would you, honestly, what would you do if Terrence did that? You'd be like, black man's gone crazy. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to post that on Facebook. He's gone crazy. You might even call me. On it, which you probably would. I, he, he's lost it. You know what? My kid aren't going to youth group again. Something's wrong. He's lost it. You'd be telling everybody. You won't believe what this one dude. You'd be telling everybody, wouldn't you? Why? People don't do that. And yet, every single day, we make absolutely no fuss 
when the TV throws garbage into something far more valuable than our living room floor into our minds. Now, I got it. We live in a, in a world, you can't even go to a PG-13 movie now without something coming up that's not biblical. I got that. And you have to live with a filter. I'm not encouraging you to go live in a monastery. But sometimes the filter's not good enough. Sometimes you have to turn the TV off. Sometimes you need to get off that internet site. Sometimes you need to stop reading those magazines and those books. Stop listening to that music. Stop hanging out with those friends. Why? Because garbage in is garbage out. You've got to get that. You've got to understand that. And if garbage comes in, it will, at some point in time, reveal itself with worry in your life. So you've got to control it. Now, Jesus said it this way in verse 25. He said this. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body and what you will wear. Now, if you stopped right there, stop right there. That seems weird. I mean, shouldn't I care about my kids? Shouldn't I care about my family? Shouldn't I care about my career? Shouldn't I care about my finances? Yes, 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 yes. He's not telling you again to live a cavalier attitude. He very quickly clarifies it at the end of verse 25, and he says, Is not life more important than food and the body and your kids and the career and so on and so on and so forth? All those things, it's fine that you have them in your life. It's fine that you're interested in them. But there's something more important than those things. Something that's more important. And you've got to shift your thinking. You've got to change what you think about and what's important to you. Now, Jesus gives us the answer to what's most important. And I'm going to read it to you in two seconds. It is one of the top five most famous verses in the entire New Testament. Most of us learned it in Sunday school class or Awana and never realized that Jesus was speaking in the context of a sermon on worry. Here's what he says in verse 33. Seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you. One of the shifts you have to change in your brain is you have to stop being so self-focused. When you really think about it, that's what worry is. That's how worry starts. That's the first domino. I'm interested in myself, my money, my kids, my family, my finances, my career, my grades, my future. It's all about me and my. That's what worry is. And Jesus says it ought not. You need to shift your focus from me and my, and you need to shift it to God. You need to be not so consumed about about furthering your career and more consumed about furthering God's kingdom. You have to shift that focus. It's not about whether you love Jesus. It's about whether you prioritize Jesus. That's the issue. And if you don't, if you choose to live in this world, I'm telling you, you already know it you will live with more worry than you need to. Shift that focus. One of the things that I know people worry about is what's going to happen to them after they die. I have a lot of conversations with people, and in fact, most of the conversations happen after what I did yesterday. I uh, helped lead a service for Cesario Tano. He's one of the members of this church. Had a great life. He was 97 years old, had a full wonderful life. But it's when we go to memorial services and funeral services, we realize, you know, someday there's going to be a service just like this one for me. 
I'm going to do some of your services. Some of you might come to my service. And some of us, if we're honest, and when it's quiet, we wonder and we worry. What's going to happen to me after I die? If there's one thing I want to erase for you is the worry about your future eternal state. And I'm just going to read these verses. It's so clear. Let me show you. Let's put it on the screen. 1 John 5. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. What do you have to believe? You have to believe that you are sinful. You have to believe he died on the cross for your sins. You have to believe that he rose from the dead, proving that he was who he said he was. You have to believe that it's better to live for God than anything else. If you believe that, he says, no, that you have eternal life. You don't have to worry about it. And you don't have to accept Jesus every time you come to church. You do it once and you are his child forever. But don't worry about it. And if you've never taken that step to embrace him as your savior, do it today. Don't live with the worry of what's going to happen to you in your eternity. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word and how practical it is. And the reality is that we come to you today realizing that very often we allow our concerns to become worry. Heavenly Father, those things that we love, those people that we love, sometimes we worry about. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, one of the most practical things you could do today is to confess to God your sin of worry. What is it that you worry about? Is it your health or your kids or your finances? or what, what is it? I want you to take a moment and admit to God because that's what it means to confess. Uh, to admit and to repent that what you're doing is wrong. That you're, you're trying to control situation. You, you're trying to take it, the burden onto yourself. You, you're, you're trying to run your own life without trusting God and having faith in Him like you know he wants you to. I want you to take a moment. I want you to confess that to God and that you would ask him that he would give you the discipline to apply what you've learned today. Take a moment and do that right now. It's so important that you do that. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you were concerned about my feelings and about our lives. That Jesus would preach a sermon and have this incredibly helpful and practical section on worry. We want to be a people of faith. That's why we're here, God. And yet sometimes we get caught like a a hamster on that wheel. Around and around we go, mulling over and worrying about issues in our life. Father, I pray that you would teach us that very careful balance between being concerned about something and trying to solve it, but then resting in your presence and in your goodness, knowing that sometimes bad things happen to good people, knowing that everything doesn't work out the way we'd like. Father, we want to bring our concerns and lay them at the feet of the cross. Father, we want to take our issues and put them on that dolly, knowing that you're going to help us carry them. Father, thank you for what you for who you are. Thank you for what you've taught us. We love you.
pray this all in Jesus' name. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.